Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas within the gaming industry. I'm Heather, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the Swedish market. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Stefan, Jakob, and Avelino to discuss the future of testing regarding automation and AI. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do, um, and how you ended up where you are in the gaming industry currently. Um, Stefan, do you want to kick us off? Certainly. Um, so my name is Stefan Postuma. I'm currently um, the head of technology for the um, quality verification group at Electronic Arts, which is a worldwide group that um, pretty much tests all, all of our games. Everything we publish goes through our group before it, uh, well, during development and before it gets you know, pu- published. Um, I started, oh boy, um, I started making games back in the 80s on the Commodore 64 when I was a teenager. Um, and I kind of ro- rolled into the industry that way. Uh, you know, joined EA back in 1997, 8, I think it was sometime in Vancouver, Canada. Um, been in the industry ever, ever since, spent time with Microsoft, came back to EA, and have been in this role in, in quality verification for the last almost 10 years. Lovely. Um, Jakob, if you want to introduce yourself. Absolutely. So my name is Jakob Potapczyk, and I am the publishing QA manager for Paradox Interactive. Uh, in case you didn't know, Paradox is a little new company from Stockholm, Sweden, publishing and making uh, some strategy games. Um, my current responsibilities are essentially making sure that uh, the external releases that we have with our studio um, come out great. And a little bit of a history, I started with QA and I've pretty much been through most of the way through the QA, starting with the external vendor, uh, working for, for one and then joining Paradox about three and a half years ago as a embedded QA on one of the projects. Uh, then shortly after became a lead and then I was picked up last year. Uh, by my manager, who I think made a bit of a mistake. Uh, and ever since, I'm just trying to make sure that whatever we're releasing, it sells great, people have uh, great opinions on, and uh, making sure that everyone is ultimately happy. I'm sure there's no mistake made there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Jakob. And finally, Avelino. Hi, my name is Avelino Benavides. I'm a quality engineering architect at EA as well. So I work in the systems test uh, um, division. So um, I, I basically take uh, whatever Stefan has done. We put together something that looks like production and we simulate hundreds, thousands, even millions of players, uh, making sure that the game and can sustain all that and that is still fun to play and if something goes wrong uh, that uh, it can recover and recover gracefully 
So um, if you see that you're having problems with your online uh, connection, check your modem or check your Wi-Fi because it's not us. We're doing a great job, I suppose. Um, I started with um, uh, with uh, with games, yeah, um, almost like Stefan said in the eighties. But I was working on well, I was I was trying to make my games in an Atari, um, and I even sent the tape to Atari Inc. in California. I never heard back from them. And then I joined, yeah, a little bit more than three years ago. Um, actually, I was walking uh, from, uh, broken from, from my former job home. And I just happened to live in the same street where um, he died. So I just say, see what's, what's going on with this company. Uh, it's very comfortable just to walk to the office. Uh, but that was not the primary reason that I joined. I mean, I don't live in the same street anymore. But um, I love being in the office, and then I joined EA when I look at the job description, and I said, I can do that. Oh, amazing. Um, sounds like you've had a really, you know, living on the same street, it's like it's fate going into EA. <laughs> um, so thank you for all your introductions. Um, now we've established a little bit um, about each of you. Uh, let's move on to the topic and focus. You all have a question or statement um, about the future of testing regarding either automation or AI. Um, so as usual, I'll work around the room to ask each one of you to pose a question and what you'd like to speak about and the reason behind it. Um, so Jakob, let's start with you. Um, let's hear a few questions of what you'd like to speak about today. Uh, so, I mean, we, we can all agree that this kind of automation uh, has been a part of gaming industry for, for quite some time now. And even if we don't call it that way, like the in-game AI is just basically automation. It's not really thinking. But now with the recent uh, surge in how the AI is being like, popularized by things such as ChatGPT and uh, other apps, uh, DALI, for example, and um, uh, Stable Diffusion, it, it just completely is going to revolutionize how we make games and how can we make them you know, done faster or better, more efficient. And my main question really is, you know, how can we reappropriate the, this, this progress, not just to all the other parts of making games, but also to how the quality assurance goes and how, how can we make good games on release? How can we keep them good for a long, long period of time so that players, when they get the game, in their hands they can just go no questions asked less work for us post-release means better situation for everyone so that's kind of like the main thing i want to learn is like how can we do this what can we use what kind of apps can we use from either you know development standpoint but also from organizational standpoint um what is it going to mean to to the qa group in general are we just going to get replaced guys i, I don't really know no one really knows, but maybe uh, we'll, we'll have some kind of an idea by the end of this, or at least some kind of inspiration where to look. Yes. Yeah, so does does anyone want to take that question first? I can do it. Um, so yeah, the the, um, the advancement of the latest AI trends, uh, the large language models and generative uh, models, there is really impressive. Um, I, I, it poses testing possibilities. I don't think we're going to go away any time zone. Um, if anything, somebody decides to put us away and, and replace us with ChatGTP, we'll be back next week. Um, but of course, um, um, AI, like most of the technologies, they 
they don't get worse over time, they get better. Um, and I'm really hoping is it's going to help us to um, to solve some of our most difficult problems or kind of intractable problems or labor intensive ones. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of um, how how can we test in mass? How can we test a lot? How can we detect when something is wrong, and how can we fix it all in one loop, like the um, like the uh, testing, the analysis, and the resolution? Um, that would be interesting to to look at. And then, of course, it's very futuristic. Like if we look at what what AI can do today, I don't think it's it's uh, it's close to helping us with with that at that scale. Mm. Um, that we can just give give them a game and tell them where to play, tell me what's wrong, and fix it. I think we're far, far from that, and that's what we do. We they, they send us a game, we look at what is wrong, and we we tell them how can we fix it together with the uh, development team. So um, I think it poses interesting possibilities, and hopefully get rid of a lot of the toil that we we used to, so we can focus on more creative and more. Uh, value reward and activity mm. because I'm just gonna like throw in a, a, maybe a little bit of a wrench into this because you know you, you what you said is like oh we're gonna be back next week absolutely I agree with this and the fact that you know even if we're not back for the same company we'll just be QAing chat GPT at that point um, the, but the thing is that what really QA can provide is not just something called retroactive testing or feedback where you just have an army of testers you know you pay for man hours you know there are people as well you need to organize the test for them you need to prepare them you need to give them time to onboard themselves it's a lot of time that you need to spend invest into a team so that it is at least efficient what you would consider to be acceptable and then there is the proactive type of testing where um a lot of the embedded teams on on, on game teams are usually that kind of proactive uh where their work starts much earlier than any some milestone testing or they 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 feedback on not just the game but also even the design documents that's something that's happening in paradox is we really try to push this entire timeline to the left as much as possible because if we're able to sqa identify potential issues with game systems with um complexity thereof then we can really early just eliminate those issues so we have overall less stress less work closer to release and that's something I don't think is going to go away. Like AI can give you like, oh, there's a bug. I reported this. Uh, but maybe that QA force is going to shift more into just being this kind of feedback machine uh, where they can just write and and say, hey, like I am really in tune with what's going on. I can tell you that this system doesn't work. We need to fix it. But then the designer comes in and says like, no, I disagree. And, <laughs> and then it all goes wrong. And then you can just sit there and relax. And we'd have to release since I told you so. But that's yeah, that's no. kind of how it is. I, I agree. You know, one one thing is to is to verify the gameplay, make make fun, make make sure that the game is fun, engaging, and the mechanics work. Um, for that, I mean, I think uh, we should rely a lot on, on, on play testing. But in that particular area, like that's that's kind of already happened. Like the design is done; it's already implemented. Um, but that's because I'm much later in, in the uh, in the production pipeline. So I can um, you're touching on all sorts of very interesting points here in this in, in the things you've been saying both both um, <clears throat> yeah both of you. Um, so I think what we always need to keep in mind this point: AI is a tool, 
right? It's um, it's not a replacement for humans in any way, shape, or form. It's just a tool that's going to make our jobs ultimately more efficient and less labor intensive. And you know, my favorite anecdote is you know, to explain why automation is important is the fact that we, we're dealing with scalability of uh, complexity of our games, right? So games are getting bigger and bigger, open worlds, uh, hundreds uh, of players simultaneously. When you think about, I mean, one of the reasons, or the, the main reason I moved from Vancouver, Canada, where I was working for you know, Electronic, you know, Electronic Arts Canada, to Sweden to, to work with uh, the DICE studio uh, about eight years ago now, <clears throat> it was to um, you know, think about what Battlefield and the evolution of the Battlefield game. So I'd, um, I don't know, maybe five, eight year, years ago, there were 24 players and then went to 48 players and then went to 64 players. Currently, Battlefield 2042 has 128 players concurrently in any kind of game session, right? game, game mode. Now, think about what that means from a quality verification perspective, like a QA perspective. If I'm the, well, I don't know, the network code engineer, I'm making this up, but you know, uh, for for that game, and I make a change to something that requires me to be able to have to test 128 player mode to make sure everything's still okay in that sense. I was, how would that work practically, right? Am I going to pick up the phone, call my QA manager and say, hey, I need you to organize a 128 player test and get, get all these people together have them all play the game uh, and let me know if things are still good. I mean, okay, possible, but you, you might get an answer like three hours or four, four hours later when everybody's got the build and, and everything's been set up and is running up and running. Or you automate that process um, with a lot of hardware and software and and, um, and then you have an AI that can play the game, right? So we, we call them auto players. That's, that's a technology that we developed in-house um, and they act like players, right? And they can be automatically spun up. You you spin up a server, you spin up 128 virtual clients. All those clients are run by a auto player. You may have a few people in, in the mix, right? So a couple of players might be actually humans, but there might be only two of them. So they keep an actual eye on what's, what's going on. Um, but the rest, especially if you need to do things like soap testing or stability testing or other testing, um, then they're bots and they play the game. They run around, they complete objectives, they, you know, shoot at each other, um, you know, and then, so then you can run an in on, you know, on your local machine, you can run 128 player tests in a matter of minutes, right, to make sure things are still good, or overnight, you can soak the game, um, and if you think about, we t if you think about the math of, um, I, I, I don't know how many game modes there are in Battlefield 2 for me to today, um, but if you do the math, you you multiply the number of maps by the number of game modes by the, the number of players to do a full, you know, end-to-end -end regression test would take something like four to five, five thousand hours, which is not possible practically um, with, with people any anymore at this point, right? So that's where automation comes in to help to doing that. And in fact, you know, they were realized, they realized we cannot test this game properly. We cannot ship this game without it. Right? No matter how, how many QA staff we have, there's no way we can we can test this game properly at that scale. And that's just one example of well, one type of game. And of course, we have our sports games. We have, you know, uh, the Sims. There's so many other games that are also of similar scale and that run into the same issues. So that's purely kind of a, a necessity of okay, in order for us to be able to make the games that we want to make, we need to have that type of automation to assist our QA with yeah. the ability to test the game. So that's one aspect of, uh, and this is where AI comes in, right? Because you can then 
you know, you can develop bots that can play the game. You, they, they do certain things. They, they provide coverage. I mean, it's currently it's a mixture of kind of classic game AI that we use for that and some machine learning based AI to do some of the more complex tasks. Fly, you know, trying to code, uh, what was it? Flying helicopters and, and other up, uh, vehicles in Battlefield 2042. Actually trying to code that classically is was complex enough that we, we, we tra trained the imitation learning ML to, to do that, um, which was way easier because then it just learns how to fly a helicopter in, in the game. And it doesn't crash every, you know, three seconds and trying to navigate uh, the, the 3D space. So that's an example of, of how ML comes into play and, and being able to solve complex tasks through a learning system, right? Um, so that's, to me, is one of the, you know, like I said, it was a necessity. We needed it to actually be able to survive as a business because we couldn't test our games anymore. I mean, you know, there's examples um, that I know of of AAA games that were not greenlit. And this is not necessarily at Electronic Arts when this is in the industry because the cost of testing or the complexity of testing of them was so high that it would outstrip the cost of development, which at that point they said, well, in that case, we cannot make this game. Now, maybe today with more modern testing techniques, with more efficient techniques that we, with automation and ML, AI, those games will be greenlit because now we do have the, the ability to test them properly. So that's kind of the classic automation. There's a lot more to do with chat GTP and, and you know, large language models and so on. I'll let you, you know, um, others kind of kind of reacted to to what I just said, but that's to me is, is a main kind of avenue of how we look at our automation. Yeah, um, then I'll chime in because um, yeah, you you said a lot, Stefan, and it's it's a lot of really good insight because what I can gather mostly is that right now a lot of the companies kind of have to make you know systems for themselves, and uh, we do that the same thing. Uh, a paradox where we kind of make or code the, the AI to work and act in a specific way. We don't want it really to be too smart because then the players will get absolutely trashed and they will not enjoy the games they play. But at the same time, we can't make it too stupid because that's obvious and people feel insulted. Uh, it needs to be just right. And training AI in a way where it will basically just cap out and and make mistakes on purpose uh, is, is kind of what what makes those games pretty pretty fun especially when it comes to more strategy titles because we come from a slightly different worlds you know i i work mostly strategy titles like a lot of agents on in a, in a single player experience you know ck3 for example has two to four thousand uh agents at the same time on game start it's 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 kind of insane and all of these in agents are independent they they have their own agendas they they gauge their situation around them and they try to make optimal choices and Sometimes they will not, and um, that's kind of like the way the game progresses. That's why it makes every single game feel different. Uh, and that's what players can kind of inject themselves into and feel like it's a part of a believable world. Uh, we use that sort of systems to to do testing on, like we, we work with events. So for example, if there are events popping up or certain situations in the game, that is also taken as a metric. And then we can test overnight um, how many times an event has come up. And if you can see a flat zero at the end of the log, you can clearly see that this event has never popped up from since like release three years ago. And we don't really know why, because every single thing is working. Uh, but at least that tells us like if a player or a tester were supposed to do that manually, there is no way in a thousand years they'll be able to like figure this one out. 
you'd have to really spend a lot of time in this. And AI can just do it like in a minute, maybe eight hours more like, but still, you can still get that and get that egg, uh, export and see what's happening. So definitely we're doing things now that we weren't really able to do before. And this is kind of like one of the parts I also want to talk about. It's like how much the industry has changed, uh, even in the past couple of years um, with the automation, with how complex the game started becoming and, and how the work that QA does has changed as well. Uh, it's no longer you're really doing like all the wall licking anymore and looking for any sort of parts in the map that you can fall through and everything is over and if you miss it and player falls through they leave an angry review online and then everyone latches on and starts tanking the game because something happened now you can have an ai that just is going to walk around the map randomly for thousands of hours with no real input from a human and then tell you exactly okay i fell through a map here so i'm just going to throw a bug report to a jira or uh, a bug system and say this is a problem please fix. And then you rerun it and it's fixed and it's awesome. So it's just the complexity of it. And I think that the one topic that I really want to like take away from this, like the biggest thing that kind of inspired me is um, how every single company kind of has to develop their own AI system, uh, which I think does take a lot of resources from not the QA necessarily, because it's supposed to help them, but from anyone else, you kind of need to have dedicated teams or these people with time who can just sit and, and script and code and even test those uh, tools that later on are supposed to save us a lot of time. But then again, it's a different topic because you have to convince everyone that's like, hey, it's an investment in the future. It's really going to pay off. But then you really don't really, don't have a, a good sample, good advertising. You have nothing. You just have a concept that is going to work. But somehow many people do agree with this and like try and now like everything most companies are trying to even more and more invest into that future, invest into making their own tools. But maybe with like an external tool that you can just inject to any game would be way more accessible. Imagine how many games you would be able to make overall in total if that was possible. Hmm. Um, I think I'm um, going to touch on that, um, that every studio has to make up or make or, or make the, their own AI or machine learning model um, and probably for each game and probably maybe even each level, um, and and I I'm far from um, machine learning expert, uh, but I work very close with them um, with with the data scientist, and and it's really kind of a black card to get a model right, um, because machine learning models are really finicky. It's really hard to get right, and once you get it right and you try to solve another problem, it's very easy to break them again. Um, so it, it's kind of a black art, um, and there's no guarantees that it will succeed. Like, you can put millions of dollars into researching a machine learning model that may or may not work, right? Mm. Because it may, may run into trouble, may run into problems. Um, I think one of the big problems of machine learning is creating models that work. Once you have a model that works and, and passes certain tests, you have to productify it, which again, it, it, it's a problem uh, because models don't, don't, don't live in isolation. It's not like you create a machine learning model and you're done. No, you, you create a machine learning model and you have to cons constantly train it uh, with new inputs, with new data, with, uh, with the issues that you observe in the real world. Um, and, 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 and that's why, you know, machine learning is so expensive to develop, 
and so specific to a use case. Like you can create a very specific machine learning to play battlefield 242 uh, on, on, on a given map, on a given mode. Mm. And you take that, the same AI, and you try to apply it to a different map in a different mode, and it's not going to do anything. It's just going to run around in circles or do something crazy. Um, and, and, and that's why we, with, with the other players, uh, what I've seen is that there's a lot of scripting still in the, uh, in the, in, in how it's done today. Otherwise, uh, it takes forever to train one of these models. Um, and, and there's no guarantee they're going to generalize well enough so that they can play other modes or, or play other roles. And, and I think one of the big problems is how to how to cooperate between themselves because they're quite selfish. Um, <laughs> you have two people and, and they say, okay, you're going to attack from the left. You're going to attack from the right. You're going to take the first floor. I'm going to take the bottom floor. Um, or you're going to conquer this area and I'm going to conquer this area. And together we're going to form like our own empires. And, and, but, but try to doing that with AI, it's, it's, uh, it's very difficult that you have adversarial systems that do the opposite, that they fight each other to get better, but uh, cooperative systems are much harder to, uh, to get working. Like children that grow up very fast. I have an amusing anecdote with that, which is also goes to how ML can uh, be used to fight edge cases, right? That players usually not necessarily do. Um, and we're doing, as you said, Evelina, we're doing, um, you know, the, 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 it's called the opacity problem, right? Of, of, uh, machine learn models. Cause you don't truly know what they learned or how they make their decisions. Um, so we're experimenting with deep learning on battlefields, right? And we had squad based, um, mode where it's captured, capture the flag, right? So you have to go to a certain area of the map and, you know, hold the, the area and capture the flag. Um, and usually that results in a pitch battle between the two teams. Um, but the thing was the, the deep learning algorithm figured out that really what they were doing is finding the most optimal way to get to, to the flag for their spawn points. And the team that got to the flag first would just sit there and, and, you know, wait until the timer was finished and then they would win because they, they held their flag long enough. So both teams would literally race to their flags and the team that got there first win the game because. They totally ignore each other. They did not shoot at each other. Nothing happened other than that, other than finding the best way, the fastest way to, to flag. Okay. They played the game according to the rules, right? You have to hold your flag a lot longer than the other, other team. So that was very interesting. And, and those type of edge cases are, um, interesting because you can find ways that people can exploit gameplay and, and that type of stuff. But. It also illustrates that ML can be very unpredictable, right? They might do things that you completely did not expect because the way they learn is alien to, to us, right? It's not like a human. Uh, so that's also something that needs to be kept in mind at all times. The other thing is, um, and this is where we also have to be very clear about, you know, bot agents, ML models that we use to play games or to please to test games are very different than the one the ones that you might ship you know, as a game feature, right? Because I always say, don't gold plate their behavior because we all we care about is the test coverage that they provide, right? So if they get stuck and they need to teleport, if that's okay in the in the context of testing, then sure, why not? I didn't, but if if that's it, of course as a gameplay feature, if if players see bots teleporting, well then you have YouTube videos saying, oh they're they're cheating. 
right, immediately. However, as for testing purposes, as long as you get the test coverage you need, that's okay, right? Or if they spin around in, in, in place for a while because of whatever there is going on, it, as long as we get our test coverage, I'm good, right? They don't have to be perfect. Um, and there's a whole bunch of technical reasons. I'm too deep into that, but, you know, most traditional game AI runs on the server. If you have a client-server-based game battlefield, um, the bots that we build are fully, they truly act as players, right? They actually attach, they, they sit on at the client side and they are as far removed from game code as possible so as to not interfere with the system. They um, generate input that gets injected into the controller system, right? So they act like players like pressing buttons, they press fire button, they press the forward button to, to walk. They get a little bit, bit of game state, as, as, as little as, as, as they need in order to understand what's going on. And that's it, right? So they're not compiled into the server, then they don't interact with the game code at a you know, low level um, because they are as non-intrusive and, and as player you know, equivalent as possible in the way they interact with the game, which also is important because that also highlights issues, right? I mean, you know, you can spin up 128 clients or 128 bots on the server, right, that have all access to all the game state, but that doesn't, players don't do that, right? They sit on their client and so on. So that's another interesting way of looking at how you would automate games and, and um, not to confound, you know, game AI and that's fully integrated into the game with testing bots that are, you know, need to act like players because that's what we're trying to do here. That's what we're trying to achieve. Uh I'm just gonna like follow this up because you know I, I've played I've played Battlefield games in my time, uh, not the freshest ones, but I think I finished on four, uh, so I'm kind of like at least aware of of uh, what's going on. And with the AI now, with the state of is uh, it is right now, maybe let's say five to ten years from now, um, the question really is, you know, when like with ChatGPT, like I've been I've been testing it out, I've been trying it out, obviously having some fun with it. Um, I've used it a couple of times to help me with my side of work as well so that's pretty good um but the problem is obviously kind of security so if you just put something in chat gpt like it's going to get saved somewhere you don't really know where it goes but it's going to get saved somewhere so you need to be really careful when you're using it for work and now really the question is what if we just kind of took like a more of a of a learning experience like you know the the ai systems you've designed for testing and instead of just trying to get them figure out, you know, on their own what to do, they would look at the player data as the learning source and try to replicate it as believably as possible. Uh, and then, you know, you would do rehashes sometimes and see like, okay, players started doing this, so we're gonna have to like update that and and learn, you know, learn again what the players do. Try to replicate this. Like, is this something that could be possible even? We need a source of information for that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think uh, playtests are an invaluable source of information. Not only for that, um, they're, they're invaluable source of information because that that'll give you some feedback of how real world is going to look like. Uh, if you have a big enough or or comprehensive enough playtest strategy, um, for from my part, like as long as we have the right metrics, uh, of course, AI can. It can dive deep into the metrics, like what are we measuring on the game? What types of events are important? What tells me about performance? What tells me about gameplay? What, te what, te what tells me about engagement? All of these different uh, metrics that can be very technical, very abstract, like frames per second. Let's take one of those. 
simple one that everybody knows, like number of frames per second, how how, how that tells me um, how the game is behaving, how how much the player is enjoying it, and how much how long they are they're engaged and and they're satisfied with the experience. So I think playtest gives us at least some some real window into the future of what the game could look like if, if it remains in its current course. And the same data could be used to train machine learning, um, at least partially, because if you're with a completely new game or, or, a, or a game mode that you haven't tried before, um, it's going to be really hard to train machine learning because you don't have any data. And, and these things leave on data, a lot of data. Yeah, and uh, we did we did that at EEA to, to a point. Um, the question of, you know, how do you automate single-player games, mm. right? especially more, more complex ones that require, you know, solving puzzles and, you know, complex navigation of environments. Um, like, if you think about the game that we just released, like Jedi um, Survivor, which has a lot of very complex navigation, wall running and swinging on ropes. And, and um, so we did automate quite a lot of that um, through a combination of imitation learning and simply... Um, you know, recording what, what, what players are doing, right? And the players, I mean, anybody who's playing the game can be QA, can be dev, can be playing you know, play testing, public play testing. You collect the information, you collect what, what players are doing, right? So this particular piece of traversal, well, you know, you, you run over here, you, you know, press the wall jump button, and then you jump off onto this rope. You can collect that information. And without going too deep into all the all the problems with um, you know repeatability, uh, um, you can you know feed that into a bot that is somewhat um, intelligent and can deal with you know oh if if the designer changes this or moves this wall a little bit, it'll still work right because those things are um, can be quite brittle if you if you get too rigid about it, but with a little bit of intelligence there, uh, you can get quite a long way, right? And there's a lot of data that games generate, like telemetry, debug information. You can collect that and you can use that, right? And, you know, a lot of people are still very fixated on, well, we have to solve everything with ML, but, you know, my approach, what I always tell people is like, okay, we have to make sure that we use ML as a tool for the right purpose, right? And if we need to go old school, quote unquote, right, just you use you know our our existing kind of C plus plus based AI to do solve this problem because it's easier it's easily easier to tweak easier to develop then we do that as well right there's no uh, it's no hard rule that this AI has to be ML ML is just another version of AI to to me anyway so that's interesting to keep in mind as well so you know what you said Jacob you can absolutely use you know, data from for a game um, to either you know. And uh, scripts things, or you know, feed it into a, an ML. We do imitation learning, which is exactly that, right? It learns from a player playing the game. Those helicopters I was talking about earlier—that's imitation learning, right? So we have player people actually playing the game, flying helicopters, and then there's an ML learning how to do that from the data that's being generated. And then once it's learned it, it has a general kind of idea of what to do at that point. So then you could say, go over there, and it will know how to do that. Fantastic. So, oh, sorry, is somebody. Yeah, I was, yep. I mean, can I say, you know, I'd love to go back to some of the earlier things we touched on. Uh, I think the question of, you know, are we still going to be here a year or whatever, two years from now? We being, you know, QA, I, that, answer, that question comes up a lot, right? And it's an interesting one um, because, as we all know, things are changing, right? The industry, uh, especially in the AI, is developing and the minds, you know, blowing pace at this point. Um, 
However, I mean, for me, it's again, it's about understanding what the what we truly can do with it, right? And how we look at how we you know test our games, and you know, for me, so or at the A, we now have two main kind of pillars of how we look at our testing, right? There's qualitative testing and then this experiential testing. Qualitative being is the game, you know, does it function as, as it should? Does it run at frame rate? Does it, you know, not run out of memory? Does it not freeze or crash or, you know, are all game modes accessible and so on and so forth, right? Which is the kind of mechanical quality of the game, which you can automate to a large extent, right? Not entirely, but there's a lot there you can do. However, the experiential part of it, right, which is, is this a game that, that provides a fun, you know, experience for the players, that's a far more subjective terrain, right, where there's a lot of nuance there, and I've seen quite a lot of games in the industry that have been released that are mostly technically pro- pro- proficient, right, they run fine, there's no issues. However, players still don't, it still doesn't meet player expectations because the design is not there or there's features missing or... And that part, I think, is where we need to truly focus our human efforts, you know, because a lot of people that we have, we have in our organization are game experts, right? Because um, they've been playing games as part of their jobs for a very long time. So it, instead of having them, you know, go through screenshots of, I don't know, uh, soccer players all day, why don't they actually play the game and tell us whether the game is fun or not? Right, um, because I don't see, you know, uh, I don't see there's going to be an AI that can tell us truly whether the, whether the game is, is is a good experience. Can tell us whether the you know all, all the textures are, are there, or you know if, get, if if we we do things like we use uh, computer vision based AI to do verification of of large sets of assets. Right, if you have a thousand player heads, we can run run those through an AI and they can look you know look for things like mid missing hair or you know floating eyeballs or any of that stuff right it's pretty good at doing that but once the game is there it's, it can't tell you whether the game is good or not so that's that's where i think human um you know that's where we, we can use people to truly do that also at scale and then the other thing is um and this is talking about you know how do we apply ml and does every company need to develop their own systems? You know, maybe today, because the industry is still fairly immature, but at some point it's going to become a commodity. Meaning that, um, and what we do is like, when we get, you know, I talk to a lot, a lot of startups, right? That there's like, oh, we're going to develop next brilliant AI that's going to play all, all your games and it's going to make your life so much easier. It's like, that's great. Um, how are our end users, as in our quality designers, going to use that? Do they need to be ML experts and do they, do they need to access to, you know, a data center with, I don't know, 100,000 GPUs racked up that, that, that they need to train the ML? Or are they going to have access to an end user facing tool that they can use to, to, to use your tech technology? And if the answer is, well, we don't have that, I'd say, well, when, when do you have that? Then come back to me and we'll talk about it, right? Because we can train MLs and we can play around with that stuff for forever. But if there's no actual way for our end users, in this case, our quality designers, to actually use that system, and yes, we need to probably train. They need to be trained. They need to have more technical skills in terms of using. You know, I see them as power users of ML systems, but end user facing, right? So you know, we've done again a lot of experimenting in house with systems that allow people to automatically, you know, here's a screenshot highlight the the issue right there's a missing texture which is a you know some rainbow colors on a player's head or something 
right? Uh, highlight those, take, you know, 20 examples, and now press a button behind the scenes, you know, we do some ML work. And now you can build test cases where you can automatically recognize these issues, right? Uh, and you can use that system to do so, but you have to still use it. You don't have to design these test cases. And, but as a, you know, power user of a system like that, right? So I think, you know, QA is going to kind of special, start specializing in these, you know, here are people who are, who, who are going to tell us whether the game is good or not. It's a fun, as a well balanced, is a good experience. Here are people who are going to work with, you know, advanced testing systems, AI-based or not, right? We still have a lot of things that are non-AI-based that are still as important um, that are going to be using those systems to build test cases that can scale up, right? That can be cloud-based or however you built them. So we can scale along with the, you know, the endless appetite of our development teams to build bigger and bigger games. So that's really important to keep in mind, right? Where, you know, QA, um, you know, verification quality is not going to go away anytime soon. It's just going to get more and more specialized and we're going to get more and more sophisticated tools to do our jobs, which to me makes it even more interesting than it already is. It's kind of like an industrial revolution in a way, you know, before everyone's just being put together by hand and now we'll have machines to help us. And uh, hopefully it's going to scale it up and make it easier and better to do this. Exactly. You know, speaking of industrial revolution, it's kind of like, you know, in the end, at the end of the road, the player gets the final product and... Like, for example, you're buying a car. Um, you don't really care what's under there. You don't really care about, you know, what quality materials are used. Or you just want a comfortable car that goes forward. Uh, and and preferably from the moment you put in the key in and start the engine. Uh, that's literally all you care about. You don't care what's under the hood. Um, so at the end of the day, whatever we're using to make that car, whatever I'm using to make those games, just needs to make sense. And even if it doesn't really work out 100%, you know, like you're, you used a little bit too much machine learning here, little to little human um, human in, input there. Uh, if at the end of the day the game is good, plays well, and it's fun, I think that's kind of that's kind of it. And I think saving a lot of time just, you know, doing this this what I call a dumb work, which is you know putting Jira tickets into the database. That's kind of part of it because. Literally anyone can do it. But if I could have uh, an AI just run through a test and put those tickets for me, and then the QA will just take a glance, take a 20 tickets that they saw from some kind of visual issues and say, yeah, cool, they look good. Um, that's that's 20 tickets in like, I don't know, uh, an hour. Whereas a human would have to go and just spend weeks on it, like literal weeks of manpower to just go into that. And I think in that sense... Uh, we're going to see a lot more people who are be administrating the QA and possibly QA such as yourselves uh, who are going to be working more with the machine learning, more of deep learning, more of like, you know, any language models and stuff like that. And they're going to be administrating them and teaching them and making sure they work um, rather than, you know, hands on. I'm playing the game for eight hours a day, five times a week, reporting some bugs, making some reports. That's it. Hopefully people listen. Hopefully they don't. Or hopefully they do listen. Uh, regret, regretfully they don't. But still, it's it is like I don't know where it's gonna be. That's kind of the the, the cool part about it. But um, I think we all can agree that this is this is gonna come. AI is at its current stage, at the worst it's ever been. It's only gonna get better from now on. Uh, and you just need to invest time and effort into this because I feel like if you fall behind, uh, it's it's really gonna 
be pretty terrible for for a lot of companies in terms of like the scale of games, right? Once someone finds that golden solution, the games are going to be absolutely massive with the scale and the effort put in, also put together at a much lower cost. Yeah, but then we, we, we're touching on an important factor, like um, you have machine learning, all of these bots, um, testing the game for us and creating gyrity. Then we have into we head into the bottleneck of solving those tickets and, and do regression testing. And, and I think that the resolution, do an analysis and, and provide maybe not a fix, but a possible avenue of recommendations where the developer doesn't have to sift to tons of log files uh, and look for the specific uh, if then else in your spaghetti code, um, which I'm sure nobody has. Um, where where the error was happening or where the unexpected thing was happening, and I, I that's where I will really like to see the analytic power of of, of uh, text generators like GTP or large language models. Um, I, I also been playing with it, and you can paste a bit of code that it actually spin up by itself, and, and you can tell them, okay, from this code, what could go wrong, and then it will tell you like a litany of stuff. Uh, and, and it's about 50-50 right now. So half of the stuff that it writes is not correct, but the other half, it has some, some, something to it, like um, this particular edge case may happen. And then you look at the code really close and yeah, that's true. And then it says, this particular case may happen. And then you look at the close, very close at the code and say, no, that cannot happen. Um, so uh, hopefully that kind of level uh, of, of intelligence would be available to to complete the whole circle, you know, to complete the circle from design, implementation, testing, fixing, and then releasing. Okay. Um, you mentioned to uh, Jacob earlier at the beginning, you talked about shifting left, right, and and um, because I think a lot of you know tra tra traditional thinking of of how we deal with um, testing is still, I, I call it the uh, the parts and the sum of the parts, right? So. Um, the game has a lot, a lot of parts. I'm going to talk about all the content, right? all the assets, all the code, all the assets, the animations, the textures, the models, and so on and so forth. All the bit, bits that go into it, they all go through a very complex, you know, system of, of tools and pipelines. And at the very end, of that you know comes out a large blob of data. Today we're talking 50 to 100 gigabytes, right, or even more in certain cases, um, which then gets ingested by, by the game engine. A game appears. Today, or historically, traditionally, we've been spending a lot of effort at getting good at testing the sum of the parts, right? The build itself, right? We have highly sophisticated tools and technologies and AI-driven testing, and we have really good QA teams and all sorts of, you know, so we've got really good at that. However, we're still testing the sum of the parts after the fact, right? Parts have been created, build is, is, is generated, you know, we pick up the build, we test it, and we test back the quality, right? You say, oh, well, didn't there? I, we found 20 bugs, whatever. Go back to dev, people fix them, and the, the cycle before they go into the build, right? Before they become some of the parts, uh, which is the shift left kind of idea, right? Um, and again, with AI and other techniques, you can make a lot, lot of headway there, right? You can do, um, imagine if you're working on, um, you know, an asset, I'm building a, I don't know, whatever, a bus stop for a game uh, as an artist. And um, I build that in my, you know, content tool, whatever I'm using. 
right? Um, today, then again, it gets checked in, it goes into a build, um, you know, and it gets run on platforms, right? Like if you ship your game on, that's the other thing, just as a quick aside, we now have games that ship on like 10, 12 pl platforms, Pre previous gen console, current gen console, mobile devices, uh, cloud-based platforms, and so on. So you have a game that ships on 10 platforms, um, and that bus stop might have a texture problem on whatever, the PS5. But, you know, the artists did not test on that particular platform. They had a quick quick look on their Xbox and saying, it looks good, check it in, off it goes. And then two days later, somebody finds it on the PS5. Imagine if you could render the asset, the, your, your bus stop, on all the targets, you know, very quickly. You have an AI that looks at it, quote-unquote, and will tell you, oh, there's a texture problem on the PS5, can you please take a look at it? Before it even gets checked in, before it makes it, you know, further downstream. Right, that will be a good example of an AI-assisted kind of content creation loop where these type of problems can be avoided. And there's a lot of things you can do there, right? Um, I mean, there's Copilot, there's, you know, uh, there's a bunch of tools currently out there and people are working hard on AI-assisted coding, for example, right? So if I'm an engineer, I'm writing code, and I introduce a, a bug, and then it gets highlighted, hey, you know, this bug... Or this piece of code has an 80% chance of introducing this bug that, that was fixed by doing that, right? Oh, okay, great. I'll fix it. Boom, done. Right? As opposed to this bug caused a crash, hard to reproduce, that took, you know, 10 people three days to, to figure out how, how to re reproduce. And then, you know, two weeks later, it finally gets fixed. Or it gets fixed in a matter of seconds during the writing of the code because an AI was pointing out that there was a bug there. It would, again, that would be... You know, a little bit of a holy grail, but it's not impossible, right, with the current state of technology. Like, things like chat, GTP, large language models are certainly uh, able to do so, uh, at least in theory. Um, so those are kind of applications of, of those types of technologies that I see are going to be highly um, useful, um, you know, in the near term, really. Um, and then your, your notion of, you know, um, chat, GTP, the public version, yes, anything you feed into it goes into the cloud, right, and and will could be very well be regurgitated to a random person in in I don't know South America asking an innocent question. All of a sudden, some some of your data comes out there, so you have to be very careful with that. Um, we have some very strict guidelines and rules around that at in in, in what you know at EA, um, and you really as a company you would have to have your own version in your own kind of fenced off garden yeah. where where you can you know, ingest your own data, your own code and your own, whatever it is, documentation, it's on that then will train or will that, that system will use. Now, of course, the interesting part there is the, the age old saying of garbage in garbage out always applies, right? So if we're going to say, well, we're going to throw all our code in a large language model. So our engineers are going to get a lot faster at writing code because it'll suggest things, we'll learn our APIs and whatnot. That code that we, you send into is buggy. Well, then the code that's going to generate will also be buggy, right? So again, verification comes into play, uh, where we make make sure that any and all data that we feed into the models is actually correct, right? That so that's another um, aspect of quality verification where data science comes into play. I mean, there's so much going on here, um, but those are all the ways I think our craft is going to evolve, right? And, into these um, aspects because it's necessary. Yeah, I mean, just to, just to finalize that, finalize that, finalize really. 
I, I, yeah, I agree with, with almost everything you said. And it's, it's kind of like how this, how this is going to evolve, how this craft is going to evolve is, is at least on the, on the very ground floor of it is that we're still going to need people who will verify that, uh, whatever the AI model, the machine learning has done together with the people who make it the game, you still kind of need the people to verify that it's all good and plays well. And, and that is not going to go away because ultimately games are made for people and not for machines. Uh, they're supposed to be enjoyed. They're supposed to be fun. If you make the, like you said, um, even if it's the most technically advanced game, if it's not fun, what's the point of it? It's not really a game then. It's just a tool set, toolbox yeah. with a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, and that the players are asked to make their own fun. And uh, I don't think a lot of players really want that. They just want to escape the reality in a way and in a believable way and get their money's worth. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, I've been, I've been kind of trying to tell the QA I work with a lot of that stuff and, and then tell them that, yeah, we, we want to kind of shift left and we want to test alongside programmers, kind of like the quasi ad, but still using the human component you know, test, test with the developers, test the hot code before even hits the, the, the merge branch, do stuff such as this. And, uh, and yeah, like. As a result, we have much less bugs later on during the verification part. But that's kind of the point. We want to verify that the game is not buggy, not verify that, oh yeah, we have like 5,000 bugs when there's already like RC coming out and we're supposed to release in a month or two. It, it, it's just, it's it's impossible and it's already too late and only shifting it ahead and with the AI helping with that as well. So QA wouldn't have to just sit around and babysit those programmers to make sure they don't release garbage uh, like he said, garbage in, garbage out, uh, would just kind of help with the hygiene and then make sure that the games do, do not need day one patch, day, day zero patch, you know, month one patch, uh, another one on top of it. And then maybe two years later, you get a game that is supposed to release in the state that was supposed to release it. But yeah, this is all, uh, I'm, I'm getting more questions than I'm getting answers here. And that's kind of like what the, <laughs> what this whole conversation is getting, getting at. So I just wanted to check. Oh, sorry. Go on, Avelino. No, 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 no. Yeah, uh, uh, it was make a silly joke on on the answers versus questions. So, but yeah, never mind. Oh, no. did I interrupt your your joke? No. <laughs> oh my god. I it was a bad one, anyway. It was a bad one. Um, I just wanted to check: was there any other topics that? we wanted to cover that haven't been covered yet um for the podcast we'll be, we'll be talking about this stuff for hours uh, i know that's the thing cover. <laughs> <laughs> there's always more isn't there there's always more um i just wanted to check that we covered both stefan and avelino's questions but i think we did in the in the main conversation um so seems like a really good place to end the podcast today um, I'd like to say thanks so much to all our guests for sharing their thoughts. They've been Stefan, Jakob and Avelino. If you wish to participate in a future podcast or would like to discuss how we can help you find the perfect next edition to your team, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.